Welcome to the Pure Flix Podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. PureFlix.com, the faith, family, and fun video streaming service. Get ready for uplifting news, scripture, movie reviews, and interviews with some of your favorite actors, authors, and pastors. Let's get started. Hey, what's going on? This is Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the PureFlix podcast, a show brought to you by PureFlix.com. We have a packed show for you today, and this is one of those shows where you're going to hear a story of life change and transformation. We have an interview with Dr. Haywood Robinson. He works with 40 Days for Life. It's a pro-life organization. We've had Sean Carney, the founder of that organization, on the podcast before, but Dr. Robinson's story is incredible because he was once an abortion doctor. He performed hundreds of abortions before finding Christ and totally transforming his mindset on abortion. He is now a very outspoken pro-life advocate, working again with 40 Days for Life. With no further ado, I want to welcome Dr. Robinson to the show today. Hey, Dr. Robinson, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. You know, your story caught my eye because I love I love transformation stories. I particularly enjoy hearing about people who have been in one area of life and after encountering Jesus, they they move to an entirely different perspective. And we know that that's what Jesus does, right? <laughs> in our lives, changes our perspective. But your story is incredible to me because you are a medical doctor. Um, and you, when you started, and I guess I'll let you explain some of this, but you worked um, on the abortion side of things as well, and now you are a very outspoken pro-life advocate, and so that is a paradigm shift. So I guess we could start, if you could just tell us a little bit about how you got into the medical field and what led you um, into the abortion side of things. Right. And before I get into that, I'd just like to ditto what you said. Jesus... Yes, he comes in, he shifts everything around. We become a new creature. We become transformed. Uh, it may look like the same body, the same Haywood Robinson walking around, but we indeed are a new creature in Christ. Uh, he transforms our mind, uh, and we line up with uh, his word uh, by his spirit. So it's, it's a new life, and it just so happens that uh, I'm 66 now, and I had 33 years uh, ago I got uh, saved. That's when the Lord saved me. So I've had 33 years BC and 33 years uh, AD. And I must say that the 33 years AD are, are far greater uh, and more fruitful than, than the BC. But he does uh, guarantee that in his word that the, uh, uh, the former will be always better than the, than the latter. But as far as medicine goes, I wanted to become a family physician. Well, not a family physician. I knew I wanted to become a physician since the time I was about four or five years old. I have no idea why. Uh, I grew up uh, in South Central Los Angeles, uh, rather humble beginnings. My father only finished the eighth grade. My mother finished high school, so I didn't have any... Uh, uh, highly educated people in, in my immediate family, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. I loved science. Uh, I, I did well in school. 
I attended uh, undergraduate at a California Institute of Technology in Pasadena, California. Went on to do medical school at the University of California, Irvine. And then returned back to my community to do residency training at Martin Luther King Charles R. Drew Medical Center in South Central. Not much more than seven or eight miles where I grew up. And it was a really wonderful to go full circle to come back to the community that I grew up in to receive my family medicine training. During that residency training uh, on the obstetrics and gynecology services where I learned to do the procedure and, uh, and dilation and curatage. Now that particular procedure is used not uh, only to perform uh, uh, an abortion, but many women have a dilation and curatage uh, when they have a miscarriage. And just briefly, that's a procedure where the cervix is dilated and, and open and instruments are used to uh, uh, clean out uh, the inside of the um, uterus. And that's necessary when a woman has a miscarriage so that you can get that tissue out. However, that same procedure can be used in a normal pregnancy to destroy it. And abortion was a procedure that was done in, in, my, uh, in my hospital and also at that particular time, abortion facilities were all over Southern California. Because that was what about, what year was that? I, I learned to do the procedure in 1978 and I spent three years uh, uh, training in family medicine. So we're talking about the late 70s. Right after Roe, basically. Well, a few years after Roe, Roe, of course, was 1973. So here I was like, you know, five years after Roe um, uh, involved with that particular uh, industry, the abortion industry. Wow. Was any, was any part of you, were you sort of thinking, was there any ethical issue with it at first when you started doing it? You know, what was kind of going through your mind at that time? Well, I guess it's easier to say what wasn't going through you, your mind. You know, it's something as uh, heinous as this, you would think right off you'd be um, somewhat repelled from even wanting to go look at one. But I've, I've thought about that many times. That question has been asked quite a number of times. I think initially inside you go, you know, something's not quite right about this. You know, here I am. I've been called to do medicine to make people better, to heal disease, and, and, and never to do harm. Uh, we had a, 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 an oath called the Hippocratic Oath, where basically said we would not do abortions, would not be involved with euthanasia, relations with your patient, and always to have patient confidentiality. But what I think happened, the, the entire uh, field of medicine compromised on this. Medicine was supposed to be a ministry of which we do no harm, we first do no harm. Just because Roe passed didn't mean that physicians were supposed to take up the instruments of execution on preborn babies, but uh, uh, we did. And I think medicine, even though it was it's supposed to be a ministry, it's made up of these entities called human beings who are uh, just... Um, 
uh, as easy to fall into evil as any other group of uh, human beings. So we compromised. We broke a great human trust uh, when we took on uh, the role of abortionists. It was absolutely uh, against our DNA and what we're supposed to be about. Now, once it comes to the hospital, that that day where you're going to go into that uh, chamber and watch your first abortion, I will say, yes, there's something inside of you that says, you know, this just is not right. But it's just like any other sin. If you continue in it, if you continue to watch it, if you continue to touch it, if you continue to consume it, you become desensitized to the point where uh, the physician dehumanizes that baby inside the uterus and it's no longer something that, sh that is uh, holy, it's no longer precious uh, human life, it's just something that you look at as a, a, a procedure. And that desensitizing process then spreads to the abortionist. It spreads to the whole uh, abortion team from the receptionist, the nurse or whatever. You have a conspiracy uh, against an innocent human being. I often caution uh, uh, medical students, don't even go see an abortion because once you see one, you become, uh, I, I think there's an enticement. It's kind of a, a, a pornography uh, as, you might, uh, uh, as you might see. Uh, don't even see one because once you see one, you might do one. We have a saying in medicine, we see one, we do one, and we teach one. So I tell medical students, don't even think about it. Let me ask you this, because as you're talking about this, it's interesting. I think a lot of pro-lifers um, obviously were so disturbed by abortion and what it entails and what it is. But I think, too, there might sometimes, and maybe I'm wrong, so correct me if I am, but be a misunderstanding I think people don't realize that in the person's mind who's doing it, many of these doctors and nurses and clinic workers, they believe they're helping the woman. You know, there's this belief, it seems, like that they're actually doing the right thing. So whereas pro-lifers believe they're doing the right thing, we're doing the right thing by trying to encourage people not to do this, they actually believe they're helping people. Can you speak to that at all when it comes to your own experience? Well, I, I never thought I was helping anyone. I, I think what I used to say was, well, you know, the, the baby wouldn't be taken care of and the woman already has three kids. I think we say things like what you're mentioning to really make ourselves feel better. That's interesting. Uh, so that, uh, not, not, we know that abortion doesn't uh, heal anything. Abortion is not medicine because pregnancy is not a disease. It's a normal process of human uh, reproduction. So simply by using that procedure and calling it medicine is, is, is a fallacy. Uh, I don't even like to refer to these buildings, these abortuaries as clinics. We often say the term abortion clinic, but clinics are places where people get better. Uh, these abortion houses or abortuaries or abortion facilities People don't get better. The baby always dies. And mom is damaged for life psychologically, sometimes physically. Uh, abortion is neither is, is, is safe, yes, but it's it not, not safe. 
it is legal, but women, once they go through an abortion, they're really never the same, and they will always miss that child and will always uh, wish, uh, I hadn't done that, we could have found a way. How many abortions would you say you had done in your career? You know, I really don't know. I would probably have to say hundreds, um, but I do. I know of people who have been doing abortions for for decades and are, and have done thousands upon thousands. There's a a guy in the southern eastern part of our country who is 85 years old and is still doing abortions about three times a week. Uh, you know, God wow. doesn't really grade on a curve. I mean, you know, if you do 10,000 abortions, it's as bad as 10. But what I think happens, there is a, a point at which I think uh, one can become reprobate. One is uh, so deeply ensconced in their sin that it's difficult to get out. Is it impossible? No, nothing is impossible with God, but I think it becomes uh, a higher risk that they won't turn around if you stay in it for an extended period of time. Especially, and, and this is a question, I wanna get into your, I wanna get into you, the pivot point moment for you where you decided you, couldn't, you can't do this anymore, but before I ask that, one of the questions that comes up a lot with this topic is whether or not there are times that an abortion is necessary late in a pregnancy to save the mother's life. Can you speak to that question at all? Because it seems to be that is a sticking point in this debate, um, You know whether or not that needs to happen when a baby is viable, after a baby is viable. Yeah, and that's one of the uh, our opposition's main things. That they, they try to say, well, you, you do an abortion to save you know, a woman's life. Well, first, let's look at a couple other things. You know, the rape incest thing, they always says, oh, why force a woman to have a baby, you know, that that, that was uh, uh, conceived uh, with the relationship with uncle so-and-so or daddy so-and-so. But uh, the way I respond to that, I say, well, the baby should not receive capital punishment for the crime of their father. It's as simple as that. And we have too many examples of people in our society who are products of rape, and the mothers who are courageous enough to keep those, uh, to keep that pregnancy, that will tell you otherwise. Now, the other clinical situation uh, that you're that you're talking about is, suppose a mother has a medical complication with um, with the pregnancy, and to survive. Uh, the baby uh, has to be aborted. Well, first off, you have to look at intent. Let's take the example of toxemia or pregnancy-induced uh, hypertension. The only cure for that in severe cases is delivery of the baby. Now, if you have a medical, severe medical problem that's life-threatening to the mother, both mother and baby can die. That's what you have to be clear on at first. If mommy dies, baby dies. So the only hope for the baby to be alive is for mom to be alive. Now let's just say, for instance, you've gotten to the point where the mother is well into 
the second trimester, and it's a bit before uh, uh, what we would call the age of uh, viability. We like to get a baby at least to like 24, uh, well, 26 weeks or so. Uh, they can generally survive outside of mom with all of this technology we have. If you do an early delivery on a child, that is not an abortion. An abortion is where you intentionally go in and dismember, grind up, homogenize, or whatever a baby. When you take a baby early, it's not an abortion, it's a procedure to save the mother and using technology to do all you can to save the baby. So the key is to take hold of a language and understand that an abortion is a procedure with the intent of killing the baby. An early delivery has the intent to save both. Okay, that's really helpful. That's a yeah, motivation and what you're actually doing. I think that helps to clarify that that particular issue. Now, as far as your story, you were performing abortions. It was part of the medical training. It was it was part of the norm of the job for you as a doctor early in your career. What was it that made you stop? <laughs> well, uh, two things. Well, first, uh, my wife and I, I met my wife during residency training, uh, Noreen Johnson, and we did abortions together. As a matter of fact, she helped train me in learning that procedure, along with you know other things in OBGYN, and we practiced together from the time that we finished residency uh, up until the time that I retired just a few weeks ago. Well, uh, what what changes it? Well, first we moved, we got married right after residency and moved to an area that was uh, rather conservative, and that was the Bryan and College Station, where uh, being the uh, community abortionist would not be something compatible with uh, uh, practicing in the community. So simply by moving here, we no longer were involved with, uh, with, with, with doing abortion. We still believed in it now, and, um, uh, and we still referred for it, and I believe that referring for an abortion is just as bad as uh, performing one. It's just you're, you're basically you know, accessory uh, or an accomplice uh, in, in, in murder. Well, anyway, that we moved to uh, Bryan College Station in 1981. However, it wasn't until 1986 when I attended a, a Leon Patillo concert at a local church, and he gave, uh, it wasn't a true altar call, but it was a call for anyone who wanted things to be 100% right with God to stand up. And I, I stood up, he prayed. Uh, I was never introduced to the gospel, the, what the crucifixion was about, resurrection, and all of, and all of that, and, and what the true Christian life was, even though I attended church uh, uh, for many years. I just didn't know the truth of the gospel. Well, anyway, I knew something was different. Uh, it, it wasn't like I was thrown down on the ground like on the Damascus Road or the bright light, but I knew something had changed. This was three weeks before our baby daughter was born. 
And it just so happened my roommate from medical school, the son of a, a Pentecostal preacher, Calvin Wheeler, who was a recently retired a, a pediatric neurologist, when I shared my story with him, he, he started to cry because he and his wife had been praying that my wife and I come to the Lord. Well, he quickly ex explained the gospel, and I understood now what had what had happened. I had become transformed, uh, and that was just the the beginning of this walk with Christ and this the whole sanctification process that all of us as believers go through every day until the day we go to be with the Lord. Soon after, you know, being saved, what the Lord shine his light on was our past with abortion. Now, I like to caution people and say, just because I became uh, an abortionist wasn't the reason I was going to hell. I was going to hell long before, you know, I even went to medical school. It was just my uh, exposure and participation in, in, in abortion that God wanted to, wanted to use as 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 we went in the ministry so what the lord did he opened our eyes to how heinous this war against babies is and he launched us on a pro-life career and the first thing that i became involved with was uh, our local pregnancy resource center and i later became board chair i was the charter medical director and the, the the rest the rest is history. So he just took us, he saved us, he had us has us involved in pro life ministry. And today, I'm blessed to say uh, that I'm full time pro life <laughs> employed. And you're working for 40 days for life. You're now the director of medical affairs and education, and you've been with 40 days for life from. The beginning, um, you know, serving as a board member, working before it was even called 40 Days for Life. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about what 40 Days for Life does so people who might not know get an idea? Well, 40 Days for Life, and I'll, I'll tell you about that, but uh, what I'd like to say first is the DVD for the movie Unplanned has been released just a few weeks ago. So for those that want to see uh, what 40 Days for Life is like, can now purchase uh, that, that DVD by simply going to our website, 40daysforlife.com. Uh, That's 40daysforlife.com, and they can, get, they can get that DVD. Now, it's available at several outlets, but if you get it from us, we have a bonus DVD. It has interviews uh, by yours truly, uh, Sue Thayer, one of our staff members, a former uh, facility director, and our CEO, Sean Carney, where we give the backstories that go along with that movie. But in a nutshell, 40 Days for Life uh, started as a simple uh, prayer and fasting campaign in front of uh, the Planned Parenthood facility in Bryan and College Station, uh, where uh, we have uh, a campaign, uh, for, as I said, for 40 days, just peacefully, quietly, faithfully praying for the people inside there, praying that the women who may be driving by, maybe they may not turn into that driveway. Some have gone in and come out and, and said they changed their minds. 
So the first focus is trying to get what we call a turnaround, a woman who is uh, intending to get an abortion but winds up not getting that and, and leaving and hopefully seeking some of the resources that were networked with like the pregnancy resource uh, centers. We also are praying that the facilities close. There have now been over 100 facilities, abortion facilities um, around the world uh, who have closed that have had our prayer and fasting campaigns in front of them. In addition to that, we're, we want a clinic or facility workers to find work other places and to leave those. And the movie I mentioned, Unplanned, is about probably the most well-known and, and famous former facility worker, Abby Johnson, how after uh, 40 Days for Life was praying for her and uh, praying that the facility closed, she left and uh, went over to uh, our 40 Days for Life office and said she could not do it any longer. So that's what we do. And right now, we're just about to start our campaign uh, for fall. We will start on September the 25th, and we will pray and fast for 40 days in front of uh, approximately uh, 500 locations around the globe. We are in every country now, uh, um, well, not every country, but almost every continent, uh, Mexico, Europe, uh, Australia. We just added the Philippines. We just added India. Uh, the movie is responsible for us having a quantum jump. Uh, our last campaign only had like 420 or so uh, campaign venues. And like I said, it's about 500 now. Uh, to close that story, or at least bring it uh, uh, to somewhat of a pause, that facility in Bryan uh, College Station announced that it would be closing uh, in 2013. It was shortly after Abby Johnson walked out. Uh, that building was then purchased by 40 Days for Life and our local Pregnancy Resource Center. So that very evil place was transformed into a place of ministry. The other beautiful thing about it is that my wife and I were able to relocate our practice in that same formerly uh, former Planned Parenthood facility. So for us as former abortionists to come to the Lord, to get involved in pro-life ministry, to be on the ground floor of 40 Days for Life, to watch it grow from one to 500 cities, and then to be able to practice in a former uh, abortion facility is just a story that only God could write. And then to top, to put the cherry on the Sunday, to now have a full-time job there is, is just a Jesus story. I, I love your story. I mean, this is this is the epitome of life change, and this is what we see God do all the time. And I love that you and your wife have devoted your lives now to the pro-life message. I, I so appreciate you coming on today to tell us about your story. Where can people go to find out more about 40 Days for Life? Well, we have, of course, the first book, 
came out a number of years ago. It's simply entitled 40 Days for Life. That can be purchased at the same website I mentioned earlier. Uh, Sean Carney uh, wrote an, uh, another book, uh, The Beginning of the End of Abortion, which kind of dovetails uh, the, uh, the 40 Days for Life story. Uh, and again, that book is available at our website. The movie Unplanned also intersects with, with both of those uh, books, and that's Abby Johnson's book. And of course, what I mentioned earlier, the DVD, Unplanned, uh, which I must say is an extremely well-produced movie that tells a story about Abby Johnson leaving uh, Planned Parenthood, but it also is a beautiful story uh, uh, about 40, 40 Days for Life. And again, the website where all of these resources, plus uh, we have a, a bit of apparel also available. That website is 40daysforlife40daysforlife.com. And we have uh, an abundance of resources where, where our listening audience can uh, become even more informed about 40 Days for Life. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Okay, it's been my pleasure. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family-friendly TV shows, movies, and original series? It's simple. Just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one-month trial. From kids' content to some of the most uplifting films, we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flix podcast. Welcome back to the Pure Flix podcast. This is Billy Hollowell. Man, that Dr. Robinson story really is powerful. It forces us to remember that we can truly change in the most incredible ways when we allow the Holy Spirit in and we say, you know what, God, this is how I've been living, how I've been thinking and existing, but I want you to transform me. I want you to make me more like you. When we say that, it's such a profound change, and there's so much that can happen in our lives. We see that in the life of Dr. Robinson and his wife and so many of the other people we've had on the PureFlix podcast who have shared their story of life change and transformation. Now, I want to shift gears here a little bit and talk talk about James chapter 3. I've got a little devotion for you. We've got to talk here a little bit about a lie that we tell kids. And this is a lie that I was told as a kid all the time, and I think it's a well-intentioned lie. It's something we tell other people and we tell ourselves because we think it's going to make us feel better when somebody says something bad to us, treats us in a poor way. And what I'm talking about here is this line that we feed kids that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. The reality is this is a total lie. It's completely inaccurate, and it's actually in a lot of ways anti-biblical. When you look at the Bible, we're completely told 100% that what we say matters, that words carry value, and I get it. We're telling kids, look, sticks and stones will hurt you. Physical things hurt you. You know, if, if people call you names, if they say mean things, you don't worry about it. But my experience has been that the words that have been said to me 
have either spoken life or even spiritual death into me or negative feelings into me based on what people have said about me, especially when it's somebody who you love, a family member, somebody who you're supposed to trust. The things that were said to me that were uplifting and positive, and even the simple things of, wow, good job, or wow, you're so creative, those are life-affirming, life-building. But when somebody cuts you down or calls you a name or calls you stupid, let's say, that really impacts you. And I think to pretend that words don't impact us is actually a dangerous thing because they can actually be impacting us when all the while we're believing that sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt us. Well, they will. And so you look at James 3, and I feel like if you've listened to this podcast, I talk about James 3 all the time because so much in life comes back to it. So much in current culture comes back to what James tells us in chapter 3. And I just want to read through some of this because it's a reminder that this is a lie, that that names will never hurt us, that words will never hurt us. Uh, verse 5, James 3, 5 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, that does not at all line up with, you know, words will never hurt me. This is actually saying that what comes out of our tongues as the speakers, as the people, you know, directing what we want to say to other people, that that actually has an impact on us. So what we're saying has an impact on us. What we're saying to other people has an impact on them. And if you go down to verse 9, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not B. I mean, what more clarity do we have that words can actually hurt us, not only for what we're saying, but can hurt the people that we're directing it at? And so I think we gotta we gotta teach our kids and teach one another that there are gonna be times that people say things that hurt, but that our value is not in what other people are saying about us. It's not in the way we're being treated, it's in what God says about us. And it just makes me think about the importance of not only remembering this for ourselves, but again, teaching young people that we've got to get our value from God. We have to to listen to the words he speaks over our lives. And we can't do that if we're not in relationship with God. And so prayer reading the Bible, engaging in that way, that that's where we seek our value, and that when we're in pain and people have said things to us and hurt us, that we can turn to God and we can find solace and peace in Him. But I think it's also a lesson for us, and I know there's so many times that things have come out of my mouth that shouldn't, and that we're not perfect, and that things will continue to come out of our mouths sometimes that shouldn't, and that we're supposed to be more like Jesus, but we have to think about that, the taming of the tongue, the fact that our tongue is like a fire, and that we we can set a whole forest on fire. We can also set somebody's life really off track if we're not being careful of what is coming out of our mouths. So if you want to read more about that, head over to James 3. It's a really one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Pure Flix podcast. You can tune in next week for another episode of the show. If you're looking for daily inspiring content, be sure to head over to the Pure Flix Insider blog at insider.pureflix.com and be sure to check out daily inspiring content over on facebook.com backslash pureflix. We'll see you next week. That's all for today's podcast. You can follow Pure Flix on Facebook at facebook.com slash pureflix. 
and on Twitter at PureFlix. And be sure to log on today to PureFlix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family-friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix Podcast.